Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10. And we'll be in verses 21 to 37. And honestly, mostly 25 to 37. All right, Luke 10. 21 to 37. Now, you all know the series we're in, right? What do we say it is? It's good news that brings great joy and it's for all and it's for all the people. Thank you, Brother Book, for bringing the word last week. Thank you, Brother. And last week, our brother talked to us about what really matters. And we saw about what really matters to the apostles and what really matters to us and what really matters to Jesus. And so here, we're picking up where he left off in this passage. The theme I'm calling the message today is reversing the question. Reversing the question. And I'll explain where that comes from in a moment. Uh, Now, just to set the context of the passage, we're going to pick up in verse 21. You all remember one one of the things we said about Luke. In Luke 1 through 9, really what the author is talking about is, is saying, answering the question, Who is this Jesus? And that's coming up over and over again. And then what happens in chapter 9 all the way through the end, do you remember there's a different question? It's what does it mean to be a disciple of this Jesus? And so as we've been going along, we've been answering that. And sometimes what Jesus does is, like like last week, he gives them an assignment, and he's teaching them directly what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But other times, like in this passage, We don't hear from the disciples at all. They're really spectators there, but Jesus is teaching them indirectly. And he's teaching us about what it means to reverse the question here in this passage. Now let's read uh, God's word and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. Beginning with verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then we go to verse 25, but let me say a word before we get to that. In the, in the previous passage, we're not going to have time to talk about that in the sermon, but as he was talking about the little children that the Father has revealed things to, He's talking about the disciples. But then he talked about the wise and understanding, the people who don't get it. And that's who he's going to be talking about. That's who he's going to be illustrating in this part that we read on. These are the quote-unquote wise and understanding who don't get it about Jesus. Now picking up with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So that lawyer is in the wise and understanding camp. Saying, teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And here's where your verse is, kids. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's word. Let's go to God with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've heard from your word already. And we thank you that your word is living and active, that is sharper than a double-edged sword. And Lord, that's good news because that means you're able to get beneath the surface. You're able to get to our minds and our thoughts, our attitudes, even our very hearts. And so we pray, as we already have prayed during our prayer time, that you would do just that in this time. And Holy Spirit, help us to understand these great words, this great story that we read of. And not only that, give us power, fill us with yourself, so that we can do what you call us to do in light of it. And we pray you'd be glorified as you do that. All this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You can put up that first picture. A few weeks ago, I guess it was about a month ago, we did a sermon, I've been to the mountaintop. And I was referring to that sermon that Martin Luther King gave the very night before he died, right, as he's in Memphis, Tennessee, supporting sanitation workers who are in strike because of all the unjust conditions that they're forced to live under. And in that message, everybody knows that message because it's the mountaintop speech, right, because of the end. But actually, about 10, 15 minutes before you get to the end, there is a powerful part of that message where he talks about this parable that's in our text today, the Good Samaritan story. And what he does is he talks about the priest and the Levite. And he says, you know what, the priest and the Levite, what they did when they saw that man that was beaten and left for dead in the middle of the road, they said to themselves... If we stop to help this man, what's going to happen to us? Maybe they'd get mugged. Maybe they'd be found unclean because they're on their way to worship. Maybe it was a trick. Whatever it was, they said, if we stop to help this man, what's going to happen to us? But then what he said is the Samaritan reversed the question. That's where the theme comes from. He reversed the question. He looked at the man in need in the middle of the road and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? 
And then Dr. King turned around to the congregation there who was there in support of the sanitation workers and said, this is the question that is here before us tonight. Not if we stop to help the sanitation workers. What's going to happen to me? If we stop to help the sanitation workers, what's going to happen to my job? How am I going to be inconvenienced? What's going to happen to me? He said the call to us is not if we stop to help them, what's going to happen to us? The call to us if we do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what's going to happen to them? He reversed the question to them. And that same thing is what this passage calls us to do here as we think about our own community that God has sovereignly placed us in for a purpose, to be salt and light here. Think about the needs of our neighbors. Think about the needs of our own community. There's people around us that need to know Jesus. There's people around us that are struggling from the effects of injustice and oppression. There's people around us that are struggling with poverty. There's people around us struggling with addiction. There's people around us suffering from all different kinds of abuse, all different kinds of things, idolatry, addiction, whatever it is. There are people around us suffering. And so the question for us is not if we stop to help our neighbors here in the West End, what will happen to us? The question is if we do not stop to help our neighbors, what will happen to them? The call to us is to reverse the question. So the big question, though, is how do we do that? Because I know who I'm talking to today, right? I'm talking to New City West End. And many of us, the reason that we were drawn to this church is because we wanted to help, right? We were drawn to the, the principles that, that we follow. That's why we wanted to be here. That's why we wanted to be a part. But really what this calls us to ask is, how do we do what we do? How do we do it with the right heart? And how do we do it so we don't burn out and, because we're relying in our own strength and not in the strength of God? So that's what we want to talk about today in how we reverse the question, how do we do that? I know you're here because you want to do that, but how do we do it? That's what we'll talk about today. And what we'll do is just ask and try to answer three questions that the text poses to us. All right? Is that all right? Yes. So, so first, let's start with who is our neighbor? That's the first question. And that's a question actually that the expert asked Jesus. He says, who is my neighbor? But let's see how we got to that. Verse 25. And so it says, behold, and it says there a lawyer. Now there, what it's talking about as a lawyer, it's an expert in the law, but it's an expert in the biblical law. That's what he's talking about. An expert in the law stood up, and it says he put him to the test. And you see that phrase, put him to the test? It's, you can think somebody tests either for good reasons or bad, right? You can test because you want somebody to grow, or you can test because you want to destroy somebody. It's that second use that it's using. It's the same word, the same phrase. If you go back to Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4, when Satan tries to tempt Jesus, it's the same spirit that this guy is coming to Jesus with. Isn't that wild? Now, why would he be wanting to test Jesus? Well, what does he say? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And that was a, that's an important question, right? That was a big question they were asking in their day. That's a big question in any day. And so what does Jesus do? Verse 26. 
He said to him, what's written in the law? And what he means by that is what's written in the Bible. You an expert. What does the Bible say? How do you read it, Jesus says. And then the guy answers in verse 27. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Where did he get that from? The Bible. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And your neighbor as yourself. Where did he get that? The Bible. He's quoting Leviticus 19 when he says that. And so he's quoting from the word of God. Love, you, love God, love your neighbors, in short. And so if you go to verse 28. Jesus, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So that solves it, right? Well, what happens in verse 29? That doesn't satisfy the man, does it? What happens? He says, but he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Next verse. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. And we'll come back to that word in a second. He said to Jesus, and here's the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, what does it mean that he's trying to justify himself? What does that mean? That word means, on the one hand, to be declared righteous. But if we think about it in a negative light, it means to try to get over that's what he's trying to do. Let me, I, I'll try and illustrate what I mean. I told you, uh, I, I love superhero shows growing up, right? But, but one of my favorite, probably my favorite TV show was not a superhero show. It was actually Monday Night Football. That was my favorite TV show. Seriously, is that kind of nerdy to say that? That was true. But anyway, back then, thank you, brother. And this is, this is really going to date myself, right? Because what would, one of the highlights is I would stay up and we would be allowed to watch the first half. Then we'd have to go to bed because we had school. But at halftime, they would have what they call the halftime highlights. And they would show highlights from all the games from the first day. So this is before ESPN, before SportsCenter, before the apps on the phone, before cell phones, before YouTube, all of that. You had to wait till the next day to get the highlights. And so that, I would look forward to this so much. But one Monday, I got in trouble at school. And my mom, they called my mom. That was in the day. They would call them, Pastor Ann. And they called my mom, and, and she said, you cannot watch. To, that's your punishment. You ain't watching tonight. So I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I, I really want to see this game. So I had an idea. So what I did is I, when the time for the game came on, I came out, and I sat with my back to the television, and I could see the reflection of the TV in the china cabinet. And my mom says, what you doing? And I, I said, I'm not watching TV. I'm watching the china cabinet. I'm just listening to the TV. She said, fool, get out of here. It, she wasn't falling for it. But you see, I was, I was kind of following the letter of the law, right? I was not what, technically watching the TV but I was not following the spirit of the law. And that's the same thing that this brother is doing with that question. What is he getting at with that question, who is my neighbor? What is he saying? He's saying some, there's some people that, that are my neighbor and some people that are not. And how do you think he distinguishes that? The people that there are some people that I want to love and there's some people I don't want to love. And so rather than change his behavior 
towards his neighbor, he tries to change the definition of the word neighbor and say, oh, well, they're not really my neighbor, so I don't have to love them. And I can still say I'm following the law of God. Isn't that something? That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to justify himself. And so that first question is, who is my neighbor? And so that leads to another question to us. And the question to us is, where are we trying to justify our own selves? Where are we trying to get over on God and change the rules so that we can say, hey, man, I'm following the rules, but, but really we're not in spirit. And you say, well, pastor, how would I know that? Well, here's one of the ways I can tell with myself is where do I tend to get most defensive? Usually that's a sign <laughs> that that's a place I'm trying to justify myself. Now, I can tell you in a lot of conversations I've had in church settings over the last, well, really since we've been in St. Louis, a lot of times you, you'll talk about issues of sin and you can say, you know, you've got an issue with pride. People say, yeah, that's right. That's right. I do. I need to humble myself. You say, yeah, you got an issue with greed. And they might say, well, you know, that's right. I got to humble myself with that. But you try to say, you've got an issue with race. People are like, what? No, I don't. No, no, hold up. What are you talking about? No, I don't. I'm not a racist. Don't you say that about me. I don't have a problem with that. We get defensive. That's a sign that maybe that's a place where we're trying to justify ourselves with how we follow the quote-unquote law according to that. We don't want to be considered or thought of as a person that has a problem with race or problem with injustice. You know the wild thing about justifying? Being justified in Christ frees us to be able to face whatever our shortcoming is. You guys have been studying for that test. What is justification? Right? It's a work of an act of God's free grace where he does what? Pardons our sin. And what does he do? Accepts us as righteous in his sight. Why? Only for the righteousness of Christ. And how? Imputed to us. How? Boom. Very good. Good job. <laughs> That last part was received by faith alone. Good job in the balcony. But you see that being justified by faith in Jesus, that frees us to say, Lord, show me whatever's going on. And I, I'll give that to you. Show me because it, I'm not justified by how I keep the rules about whatever it is, whether it's, it's race, whether it's class, whether it's power, whatever it is. I'm not justified by following those rules. I'm justified by faith in Jesus. So where are we seeking our justification? That's, that's a question this, this also poses to us. So that first question was, who was our neighbor? Let's look at the second. The second question is something that Jesus asked himself, and that is, who was a neighbor? Who was a neighbor? Now, the thing I love about Jesus is he doesn't get into this big theological debate with the guy, does he? What does he do? He tells a story, and it's taken right from real life. Look at verse 29, or verse 30, I'm sorry. Go to that next slide. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down 
from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And then listen to what happened. It says that they stripped him, they beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now, can you put up that picture, that next slide? Now, I said this is taken right out of real life, right? That's a picture of that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you go back, people will say it kind of goes from like 3,500 feet above sea level down by the end, it's 1,200 feet below sea level. And so it's just going down this windy road. And so there's lots of places to hide and ambush people. They used to call this road the bloody way or the bloody path. You know places like that where you say, look, you don't want to go down that street. You don't want to be there at night. You don't want to be caught there if you look like me. You don't want to be there at this time because something bad might happen to you there. And that was just the place that Jesus set the story. So what happened? If you go to the next slide, verse 31. So now by chance, a priest, he's either leaving the temple or he's going to the temple for worship. He was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now it doesn't say why. Maybe he was afraid that the robbers might come and grab him. Maybe he thought it was a trap, that maybe the guy's faking and maybe they're going to trap him and get him. Or maybe he is on his way to worship. He doesn't want to be declared unclean by touching a dead body. I, I don't know. But it says that when he saw him, this man in desperate need, he passed by on the other side. Well, then the story continues right there in verse 32. It says, so likewise, a Levite, as somebody that assists the priest in the temple, when he came to the place and he saw him, he also did what? He passed by on the other side. And then here comes the dramatic turn of the story in verse 33. But a Samaritan, that is a religious and a racial outsider. Pastor Ann talked about that a few weeks ago. As he journeyed, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, how did he respond? He had a different reaction, didn't he? It says he had what? Compassion. That means he's moved from, from the insides at the plight of this man that's laying here in the middle of the road. But look, if it didn't stop there. Verse 34, it says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, right? He's got to get close to the man. He's got to get right into his pain. He's pouring on oil and wine to bring healing to that man's wounds. But he doesn't stop there. It says, then... He set him on his own animal, which means he's got to do what now? He's walking. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. But it doesn't stop there. The next verse, 35, the next day, he took out two denarii, and that's two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Amazing. This Samaritan, really, he's risking his life to help somebody else. He's the one, honestly, that fulfills the requirement of the law in loving the neighbor as himself. And so if you go to that next verse, verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which one? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? Yeah, he was the one 
that shows us what this love looks like. But I want you to see something, that Jesus is after a lot more here. You might say Jesus is meddling when he uses a Samaritan as the hero of the story. What do I mean? Well, I, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the lawyer as Jesus is telling that story. And you hear Jesus say, okay, the man's beaten up, left for dead, and a priest comes along and passes by on the other side. And then a Levite comes along and passes by on the other side. What you're expecting Jesus to say is somebody like you comes along and helps this man out. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says what? A Samaritan. And that dude would have said, some of what? A Samaritan is the hero of the story. And, and Pastor Ann talked about the tension, right? Do you remember? The Samaritans heard Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and they're like, you can't come through here then if you're going there. And, the, and the, the, Jesus' disciples were like, let's call down fire on them, Jesus. And then if you go to that, that passage with Jesus and the Samaritan woman there, he kind of tells you that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. If a Samaritan is coming down the road, a Jew would go to the other side of the street so that the shadow of a Samaritan wouldn't touch them. That's the tension that they had between each other. And Jesus makes that man the hero of the story. What's Jesus trying to do? He's trying to shake them up. He's trying to expose what's in the heart of that expert in the law. How does he do it? By making the hated one the hero. Now, I've told you guys, I think it was a few weeks ago, I also told you about one of my other favorite shows. You can put up that picture. The Jeffersons. I like good times, too. But the Jeffersons. But, man, there was this one episode where the Ku Klux Klan starts holding meetings in George's building. Can you, you can imagine that already, right? Except they don't say that that's their name. Right? They call them something else. They say they're an organization that's concerned about the community. And so they pass out flyers all through the building to invite people to come to this community meeting. So George and his two friends get the flyer. <laughs> Y'all can see where this is going. And they say, oh, this is great. Let's go to the meeting. And so they go to the meeting. And George actually is late. So the friends come first. And the clan leader is at the front. And his assistant is there. Let's go ahead and get started. And so he starts talking. And then George walks in. And the last seat in the room is right up front. And he walks and sits right in the front row. And the clan leader is looking at his assistant. And the assistant is looking at him. He's like, I, I don't know. Just go ahead. And so he starts out. He says, we got to do something about the riffraff in this building. And George said, that's right. These people are driving down our property values and we got to get rid of them. George says, amen. But then the guy looks at George and says, I'm talking about you. And then all of a sudden it becomes clear where they are. And George, you know how he is, right? He, he's kind of a hothead. So he pulls off his jacket and he's ready to fight with the guy. And then all of a sudden, the guy, the clan leader, starts to grab his shoulder and wobble, and he faints and falls down on the ground. And his son is there. His son says, my dad, it's his heart. He needs somebody to help him. Is there anybody here that knows CPR? Can anybody help him? And it's quiet for a second. And then all of a sudden, there's one hand that goes up. 
Guess who the only one is who knows CPR? George. And George gets down and delivers mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation to the Klan leader and saves his life. And then that episode, the way that ends is the next scene is the police or the hospital has come and they've got the guy in the gurney and he becomes conscious again. And he's like, what happened? What happened? And his son is there and he tells him, you passed out, you fainted. And, and Mr. Jefferson came and they said, if he hadn't given you CPR, you would have died. He saved your life. And the guy's shocked and he looks over at George and he says, he saved my life? And then he looks back at his son and he says, you should have let me die. And they wheel him out. And it's amazing what happens because in that story, the people, the, the clan leader's assistant goes back to the front and tries to start the meeting again and everybody gets up and walks out one by one. And the last one to walk out is the son of the leader himself. And he takes the flyer and tears it up and throws it in the trash. What happened? Their hearts got exposed because the hated one became the hero. And that's what Jesus did right here. He shows that lawyer what's really in his heart by making the hated one the hero. And so two questions that come from this. On the one hand, some of us know what it feels like to be treated like a Samaritan. You know what it feels like to have people pass by on the other side of the road when they see you coming. You know what it feels like to have people look down on you. You know what it feels like to have people think you don't count for anything or I don't want anything to do with you. But what this says is Jesus sees you and Jesus cares about you and Jesus has a plan for you and you're just the kind of person that's the hero of Jesus' story. But then the other thing it does is it challenges us to ask this question, who are our Samaritans? Who are the people for us that if Jesus was telling this story, we'd say, no, Jesus, not them. <laughs> no, not them. They can't be the hero of the story. Who is it for you? Who comes to mind? Is a person of another race, a person of another gender, a person of another orientation, a person of another political party, a person who lives in the suburb, a person who lives in the city, person who lives in the south side or the west side, who is it for you? Who is the Samaritan for you? You say, Pastor, you, come on, man, let's get to the last point. Well, think about that expert in the law. Is he in good hands here? Because he is, because he's in the hands of Jesus. He's in the hands of the great physician. He's in the hands of the one who not just can show him his heart. He's in the hands of the one who can change his heart. And so whoever your own Samaritan is, you can come and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and, and see my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And he will. Let's, let's go to the last thing. I'm sorry, man. I'm just getting to the last one now. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry. I got, I'm almost there. <laughs> and that is, how can we be neighbors? That's a question that's implied 
as Jesus is talking here at the very end. Let's go back. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Do you see what Jesus did? He reversed the question, didn't he? Do you remember the question back in verse 29 that the guy asked Jesus? What did he ask Jesus? Who, who is my neighbor? But what does Jesus say in verse 36? Which one what? Proved to be a neighbor. Jesus changed that neighbor from just being a noun to also being a verb. And he says, how do you be a neighbor? And so let's look at verse 37, the last verse. I think the man got it. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Now, isn't it interesting that he doesn't say the Samaritan? He can't bring himself to even say it. But he got the point, didn't he? The one who showed him mercy. And so what does Jesus say? You go and you do likewise. You've seen mercy, now you go and show it. And so that's the challenge for us too. How can we here be neighbors in this place God has called us to be? Well, how'd the Samaritan do it? Well, we can see in his story, right, there was two things that were impacted, his heart and his hands, right? Think about it. The first thing was his heart broke for the condition of this man. He saw a man, and, and he wasn't worried about what race he was, what gender, what orientation, any of that stuff. He saw another man that's made in the image and likeness of God who was in desperate need of help, and his heart broke for him. And so as we think about our own community, do our hearts break for the people around us that are suffering for the single moms, the single dads, the young men, the young women, the older men, the older women, people who've been incarcerated, people who've been victimized by those that are incarcerated. There's so many different needs around us. First of all, do our hearts break for the plights of the people around us? Well, then his heart also was followed with what? His hands. His hands went to work. On the one hand, we look outward. And the outward look means that we look and see what are the needs around us in our own community, whether they're spiritual needs, whether they're physical, right? Like flooding. We just had this happen last week. Whether emotional, psychological, what are the needs that we see around us? But we don't stop there. Also, we look where? We look inward and say, what has God given to me? How has God made me? Because here's one of the things I will say with us, and I'm, I'm the biggest culprit of this. Sometimes we'll sign up for everything <laughs> and think we can meet all the needs, and we can't. So we got to build, you just talked about that, right? And so what we do is we figure out what has God given to us and how can we do, give what he's given to us to be able to meet that need. And it's, you know, the Samaritan left. Right, He had to go somewhere and he left. He didn't stay, he left. And he said, I'll come back. But he knew his own limitations. And so we have to do the same thing. Now, what does that look like practically? Then I'm almost done. It, looks, it might look like formally, and you are already participating in many of those things where it's ministries of the church, where it's ministries of Restore St. Louis. Andrew is happy to sign you up for whatever it, it might be. <laughs> 
But there are so many opportunities. And men, I know y'all are taking advantage of all of those. But then there's lots of informal ones without, that nobody else sees. Right? Just with our neighbors. Just on our street, whoever it is. Whatever God has called us to do. And you say, Pastor, that's great, but all you're doing is making me feel guilty. I'm just weighed down with guilt. I've been working and working. I'm trying to do that, and I'm tired. Pastor, how can I keep going? Well, what am I going to say? How are you going to keep going? Where are you going to find strength when you get weary? Where are you going to find encouragement when you get discouraged? Where are you going to find patience when you get frustrated and you're ready to give up? You look beyond yourself because you don't have the power in and of yourself to do the work God has called you to do. But he does. And so what he does is he calls us to look continually to the one true good Samaritan. And that ain't me. That's not pastor this or that pastor that. It's Jesus. Where do you see yourself in this story when you read it? The temptation for us is to see ourselves as the hero of the story. But you know what we are? We're the one left for dead in the middle of the road. In fact, we're worse off than that guy was because he was almost dead. We were all the way dead when the one true good Samaritan had mercy upon us. Oh, is there anybody that's glad today? Is there anybody glad? That Jesus Christ didn't just have his heart broken for us. He had his body broken for us. Is there anybody glad about the fact that he didn't just have his oil poured out, but his own precious blood was poured out for us? Is there anybody glad today that he didn't just come at the risk of his life, but he came at the cost of his life? Oh, I'm so glad today that Jesus Christ reversed the question for us. He looked at us and he didn't say, if I stop to help him, what's going to happen to me? He said, if I do not stop to help him, what's going to happen to them? Knowing what would happen to him. And he died on a cross for us. He gave himself for us, the one left for dead in the middle of the road, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning his shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, you know what he does? He prays for you. He lives to intercede for you. To be a people that reverses the question for this community that he's called us to. We do so in the power of the one who reversed the question for us. Let him lead us to reverse the question for our neighbors. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.